it was a church really about this size. wasn't wasn't very a whole much bigger than this. Service started, began to worship. Everything was going fine. Everything was going great. It was, we were kind of as expected. We we wanted that we we expected. So then there was a few announcements. The pastor said a few things, and then he said, "You know, we're going to break in and have a prayer time," which was fine. I, I th- that's that was great. So we're going to pray individually in our in our in where we're sitting and. And even move around and pray for each other. And so that was fine. But what he meant by prayer time was that, no, you're going to pray in your prayer language. You're going to speak in tongues. And that's what the congregation was expected to do, was to go around and speak in tongues. And for those of you that don't really know what that means, that you're kind of going, okay, what are you talking about? That's weird. I'm just going to give you a really quick answer that we see that when we accept Jesus as our Savior, we're, as they say, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes upon you and, you, and you'll hear a term called baptism of the Holy Spirit. And in Galatians 5, 20 through 22 through 23, we see a list of these fruits. And there's also gifts that are with, associated with, with the Holy Spirit also. But these fruits are described as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then in Acts 2, we see that the Holy Spirit comes upon people and they start speaking in in other languages and speaking in, in what they call tongues. And then there's other references in the Bible where they talk about speaking in, in your prayer language. It's it's something that's it's kind of between you and God. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail that's for another another time to talk about that and in this praying in tongues that's it there's nothing wrong with that that's a that's a very very good thing it's something that that should be desired by every follower of Jesus to, and it's something that everybody everybody we believe can receive their own prayer language but it doesn't matter if you do or you do not speak in tongues that's not where your salvation comes from because your salvation still comes from Jesus, from being a disciple of Jesus. And so it's, it, whether you speak in tongues, that's, that doesn't affect that. But again, like I said, we'll talk about that at some other time. But I want to go back to our story. So neither Kim nor myself at that time had, had, a, have a, had a prayer language. And so these people are going around and we're just sitting here trying to be, you know, keep to ourselves and, and pray. But then all of a sudden we'd have these people like come up behind us like and just start talking in their, praying in their prayer language, like yelling in our ears and like almost looking at us like, what's wrong with you? You need to like just, we're not feeling accepted. And we're there, we feel like we're looked at like you don't even know Jesus. Like we're here to save you. And so it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And it, Finally, it ended, and, and we're like, thank goodness, and like we couldn't get out of that church fast enough. And we were really just driven away from that church, and both felt like they probably thought we weren't followers of Jesus. Now, I can just imagine, like we knew Jesus, and we knew about a prayer language, but just imagine what somebody that didn't know anything about Jesus would have thought. I, they would have thought, these people are all nuts. I'm not ever coming back here. So when Jesus said, go make disciples, is that how you think he told us to go do it? Is to go do something like that? So when we go, how do we go? The next couple of weeks, I'm going to look at just a little bit of 
of 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at a, at a few things out of there, just a couple, a couple sections out of that. 1 Corinthians, we could probably spend years in that, that whole book because it's a great book, but we don't have time for that. And, and the author of the book, who is Paul? So when Paul went, Paul went with purpose. So Paul was very intentional with the why he went and how he went. So let's look at today, the passage of today, and then we'll begin to break it down. It comes out of 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law, Though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Now, as I mentioned, Paul was the author of this book. If you don't know who Paul was, Paul was a Pharisee. He was a... a pretty high-ranking Pharisee. So as a Pharisee, he was looked at as the expert of, a, of the law, which being a Pharisee, that would give him freedom. It would give him freedom within the Jewish people. Now something else about Paul, Paul was a Roman citizen. Being a Roman citizen, that even made him even more free within that culture of the day. Being a, a, a Roman citizen made you part of the Roman Empire, part of that system. So Obviously, Paul was very educated. Paul was able, he could have used this status of being a Pharisee and a Roman citizen to his gain. He could have gained a lot of power out of this, a lot of, lot of privileges out of that. In fact, he could have demanded everybody of that day to treat him a certain way, to give him things, to, to really lift himself up and demand special treatment, but he didn't. He chose to be a slave. He chose to go make disciples to the Jews and the Gentiles. And there was often many, many times that we read throughout scriptures he was beaten and even left for dead. Sometimes probably you think just maybe like a slave. Because I think Paul had different priorities. These different priorities that are different. If you look at today, if say, say Paul walked through the door right now and he lived in, in America. He lived in in right here with us right now paul would have been in a position because of his rank and because of his education to really set himself up to live this american dream this american dream that we probably have heard about since we're little kids there's a definition of an Ameri- of the american dream so let me give that to you it says the american dream as the ideal that every citizen of the united states should have an equal opportunity to achieve success and prosperity through hard work, determination, and initiative. Lots of us probably know, have no stories of this American dream or our ancestors have had this American dream and you can tell stories of people coming to America and immigrating here and living this American dream and reaching success. And the, how you just manage or, or measure success, that's, that's different between people or Maybe some of us, we're still working on trying to achieve this American dream. And maybe some of us have just given up on ever achieving the American dream. 
But what I want to point out is that Paul, he had the necessary tools to be successful, to be prosper, to prosper. Probably if there was a reality TV show on the American dream, Paul could have been a star on that because he could have become the next great accomplish of the American dream. But yet he chose to be a slave. He chose to be a slave to the gospel, a slave to this task of making disciples. And he was a slave to everyone. That's what it told us. He was a slave to everyone because this, this job of making disciples was for everyone. So maybe probably this priority is, instead of the American dream, maybe it was a, it was a dream of making, a making disciples dream. That he had this dream of winning as many as possible. Winning as many as possible for this, this message of the gospel. And seeing as many as possible come to Jesus. Come to Jesus, receiving forgiveness, receiving life, and restoring this relationship to God. Because Paul had one priority, this priority of Jesus. Now, there was a time when, um, there's been a few times I've been blessed God's I feel God's audibly spoke to me, and there was one time I'm walking out, out, out to go to work, and this was when I really felt I, I was probably living the American dream. Everything I was doing was, was really for me, to, to do better for me, to, to work. You know, that classic story of you get up, you go to work at 6, you come home at midnight, and you just get all up and do it all over again. I was living that life, and, and God just stopped me, and he goes, these things you do today are they for me or are they for you just floored me and so i think that's what what he was asking me what paul was doing are you going to live today for for yourself or are you going to live today for me and go make disciples so what is our priority what is what is the what is your priority your own personal is it to win is it to win as, as what Paul, Paul was doing? Win as many as possible and, and live out this disciple-making dream as best you can. And for Paul, it was. And he, we're told he's a, he's a slave to everyone. And so what does that really mean? Does that mean he just let everybody boss him around? He was just abused, told him what to do? And I think what he did was he met people really where they were at. So he connected with people. He wanted to connect with people. He wanted to become just kind of like who they are. Now, Paul, he went to the people, and he didn't expect them to all of a sudden be like him. Paul's <coughs> priority was to win as many as possible for them to be saved. So he went in kind of being a little bit like them. So when I was, I was kind of thinking about this, a picture came to me of um, someone that would come to town or somebody that would walk the streets and, you know, they're yelling and they're screaming and they've got a megaphone and they're telling people that if you don't repent, you're going to spend eternity in hell. You need to do this now. And they're just angry and they're yelling and they're screaming and... Um, this was actually a reality story because in high school, I, somebody came up to a bunch of my friends and I, and, and that's what they did. They just came up to me and started yelling at us, started screaming at us like, do you know Jesus? And, and if we said no, well, then you're going to go to hell. And just like, 
what good did that do to a, to a 17-year-old high school kid? I, I, none of us repented that day. None of us did. And, um, in fact, we kind of laughed him off and uh, verbally abused him and kind of sent him off with his tail be- between his legs because we really weren't very nice kids at, at that point in time. So, but what about if he took this approach? What about if he took the approach? He didn't have all of his stuff. He came up to us and he just started talking. He goes, what's going on? How are you guys doing? Introduced himself. Kind of talked maybe about the football game that we just went to where we just played. And he didn't condemn us. He didn't tell us to repent right away. He didn't tell us that you're going to spend eternity in hell. That he met us really where we were at. He made a connection with us. We, he, he felt when we were sad. He felt when there was joy. He felt when there was pain. And he just, there was this connection made with us. We knew that he cared about us. And we knew that he wasn't, that he was always going to be around. That he he became like us. He became one of us. That he loved us. And he became our friend. Now there's a saying, some of you are familiar with Young Life. But there's a saying that they, it's earn the right to be heard. So what if this man came up to us and that's the approach he took? He earned the right to be heard. He earned the right to be able to tell really the same story that he wanted to tell us, but we, he earned our trust first. And then he told us the message. And he didn't yell and scream at us. Maybe this approach of condemning us right away and, and screaming at us, maybe there's a few people out there that will be saved because uh, you hear stories of that. So I'm not going to say that it doesn't work all the time, but just think of how many more would be saved if you maybe did a different approach, if you took Paul's approach and became like them. And I think Paul is saying, get your hands dirty. Get your hands dirty. Don't, don't expect people to come to your level of holiness. Now let me kind of define what maybe I think holiness looks like. We've probably met these people or know these people and, and I'm going to say the word Christianese. They speak Christianese. So they speak a whole bunch of words and they're talking to them. And even like right now, they talk to me and I'm listening to them and I'm going, what are you saying? Like after about two words, I go, I don't even understand the words you're talking about because I don't talk that way. And so they, they just like, how is someone supposed to understand what that? They, they don't know. Or there's that other person that, that comes and expects, like when I was this high school kid, this sinful, dirty-mouthed high school kid to suddenly just to, if I repent, I'm just going to suddenly be like them. They don't realize that, you know what, I spent a lifetime getting to where I am now. And I just like that, it's, I'm not going to all of a sudden flip over to where you are right now. I don't know that much about God. I don't know. I've never looked at my Bible. I, you've read the Bible cover to cover every year. I've never read it. How am I going to be at the same s- spot as you are and know all this stuff about God? Now, let me give just kind of an example of what I'm talking about there. So, Sarah, can you come up here? I need one other volunteer. Come on up. Jerry. Okay, so if this side is the devil 
in hell. And that side of the stage is God. So <laughs> now you know why I picked you, right? Okay, well, we'll let you both start in the middle. We'll let you both start. You can both come right here. But I want you facing that way. Other way, Sarah. That way you're facing towards the devil. So Sarah's so sweet and nice. Sarah decided to turn the other way. She starts walking towards God, so take a couple steps. Okay, stop right there. Still face that way. Because remember, you're going towards God, and Jerry's still going to hell. So Jerry's taking that. Well, all of a sudden, though, Jerry, he hears the message. So Jerry turns around. Well, look how far ahead Sarah is. Now, if this is this timeline of, of life of like, this is God, so this would be a life that looks like God, and this would be a life that looks like the devil, there's a big gap here, right? Before Jerry could ever get to Sarah and even look like remotely like, like Sarah. So where Jerry's facing towards God, but he's still going to look, his life at each point as he takes more steps is still going to look like he still might be going to hell. But he's not. It just takes some time for God to work in our lives sometimes and get some of those things out of our lives. So that's my point of like, I can't expect someone to be like Sarah right away. I want them to eventually, and eventually over time they will. Okay, you guys can sit down. So Paul's saying is, don't be those people that just come in and say, okay, you gave your life to Jesus. I expect you to be over here. I don't expect you to be like God right now. It takes some time sometimes. It takes some time. So we've got to get healed. And we need to also, we need to get down in the mud with those people too and help them along the way and become like them. Now, for... For me, as a lot of you know, I, I wear two different hats. So when I'm at the mental health center and I'm working there, like there's doctors around, doctors come and ask me questions. And, and so I've got to act like I'm smart and I've got to use a different vocabulary and I need to become like them. So I have to use these big words that I may or may not know, but I've got to pretend I know what they mean so that maybe, maybe I'll get the opportunity that they'll see Jesus or I can share Jesus so that just maybe some of them might be saved. Now, on the other side, later in the day, I might go down to Riverside and help Bennett coach junior high football. And let me tell you, my vocabulary changes drastically. My appearance changes. Like I put on T-shirt and a shorts and shoes. And like I'm not, don't look like a professional anymore. I look like a football coach. So my appearance changes. My words change. Like I have to break things down into very small little pieces so that they can understand, so that they can comprehend. So maybe they learn about football, but again, maybe so some of them could be saved, that they'll see Jesus and hear Jesus. So I hope maybe you're asking this question. We're asking people to kind of change depending on who they're around. So do I compromise the gospel? No. Paul didn't say anything about compromising the message. He doesn't say anything about compromising the gospel. Paul held true to the freedom that he had of Jewish law when he received his faith in Jesus. But Paul also, also held true to the freedom that he had when talking to the Gentiles, but he held true to Christ's law. He was just becoming 
who he needed to become, not violating any of God's commands, not compromising the gospel. And he also, when he was talking to the Gentiles, like he didn't try to hold them to the Jewish law, which he was a Jew. He didn't t- say, you got to do this to get salvation. He didn't say, you got to go become circumcised. All he's saying is, there's God's law. He didn't compromise this gospel. Now, I have a friend that is a, he's an on-fire Christian. He's a, he's a believer. He is um, a guy, he's a motivational speaker. And he's got a purpose of sharing the gospel. Now, as a motivational speaker, that's probably a really good quality to be a professional speaker and be able to share the gospel. However, he does this in public schools. Do you see the problem? The problem is you can't say Jesus and God and talk the gospel in a public school, or if you do, it probably might be your last job. So he's able to preach the gospel, but he preaches the gospel of the story of his life the story of his life. He brings his story, tells the story of his life of bringing it to where, who he's talking to, making connections with them, telling the story of his life, not using the words that gets, gets him fired. So I think that's what Paul is saying. Some of us, lots of us, we may have a job or we may work somewhere where we don't have this freedom that if we do, it's going to violate some rule and we're going to maybe lose our job. It's going to prevent us from talking freely about Jesus. But that doesn't mean you can't preach the gospel because you still can. You become like those under the law, under the law of where you work, or those under the law with the hope that, well, some might be saved. Your life becomes your words. You living a slave to everyone. Your way of your living a slave to everyone becomes your testimony. You don't have to come in to think of an action-packed movie. I was going to bring some these Nerf machine guns and shoot all of you with it, but it'd make too big of a mess. But, you know, like an action-packed movie guy, just barrels blazing, just shooting Jesus all over the place like the people did in that church that day. And just us walking away like, that's weird. I don't want that. Just gunning everybody down for the gospel. Now, I'm going to acknowledge that we know we're not, obviously a lot of us have read the Bible in here. We know that Paul was beaten, left for dead, because he did proclaim the gospel, because he wasn't going to compromise what the message was. But a lot of these people beating him up is because they rejected the gospel. They rejected Paul, and they rejected Paul because he wasn't going to compromise the gospel. So Paul was willing to suffer for the gospel, but he also was wanting people to hear the gospel. Connecting with people Paul met and building relationships with them so that they could see what Jesus was doing in his life. And that allowed more people to be saved, which that was Paul's priority. So another question you might think of, like, well, if my sole purpose of being friends with you is just so that I can get you saved, you kind of go, well, is that really sincere or is it just kind of, false motives or, or just a, just an act. And part of me is like, well, I sure hope that's the reason for people to, for you to, people to be saved, to become in the kingdom. But I hope it's because it's a priority to you. But I also hope there's more to it too, that there's, there's more reasons why you want more p- people to become disciples, to be saved. 
John 13, 34 through 35 tells us, says a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So I hope you're doing this because you just love everybody and you don't want anybody to perish. And there's some more in this in Romans 1, 14 through 16. It says, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel, also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So Paul was sincere. He was sincere in what he was doing. He wanted everyone to hear the gospel. He, he did what he needed to for people to hear the gospel. Becoming a slave. And Paul had purpose in everything he did so that no one would perish. Be all things to all people. Now, if we can get this picture on the slide, Nadine. I don't know why I thought of this animal. And just if you can leave it up there for a second. So, a chameleon. I don't know, this just came to me, uh, this, this picture of a chameleon. And so, look at this chameleon. Like, this chameleon's easy to spot. Like, you could spot this from a mile away. It's easy to see. A chameleon's very colorful, can light up and look like this. And, and um, the other thing is, if you show the next picture now, chameleon can blend into in its environment. It uses this ab ability to adapt its color. And, like, you can see this chameleon up there, but it's a little harder to see it now, isn't it? It kind of blends in. So it does this to protect itself so predators can't see it and attack it or eat it. Now, I think this may be what Paul is trying to tell us. He's saying, don't go to people and be like that first picture. Be like that first picture where everybody can see you coming. Everybody knows you're coming. Like some of those people that come and knock on your door and you don't want to answer the door but you can see them you can see them walking down the street with by what they're wearing and you can see them coming you know okay let's kids let's all go downstairs and pretend we're not home don't Paul saying don't be like that don't cause a big scene don't make a big distraction don't bring all this t attention to yourself an emphasis on yourself because it's not about ourselves is, is it it's about Jesus, and it's about the gospel message, about making disciples. Because everyone can see us coming. When they can, it's a lot easier to avoid you, to stay away from you. That You're never going to have the chance. You're never going to have the chance to connect to them, to love them. Never have the chance to share Jesus with them. But if we blend in, like this chameleon, blend into maybe the environment that we're in. You just kind of be like them. You earn the right to be heard. You're not trying to be noticed. And then maybe if you're in the group for a while or in that, maybe they, they look around and they just think, oh, this guy's always been here. He's fine. He's good. And then you're given a chance to love them, given a chance to share the gospel with them. Suddenly you do. You have this voice in their life and you can speak into their life hoping just hoping, like Paul said, that some might be saved. So you might ask, what does that look like in real life? What, is, what does that look like? That, you know, 
it's pretty easy for us all to hang out with the people that are just like ourselves, like here in the church. People that go, it's pretty easy to do that because we just blend in. But um, this weekend was a really good example of, of for this. Does anybody know that the 406 Pride put on a, it was the Billings Pride Week this week. Does anybody know that? That was this week? Did um, anybody there? Me neither. So what a good chance to blend in with people, huh? Love people. Loving people with the hope that some of them might be saved. I'm not saying we're going to protest. I'm not going to judge them. I'm not going to necessarily condone it. I'm not going to conform, because Paul didn't condone or conform. But I'm also not going to compromise the gospel either. Now, if there's anybody here, if there's anybody listening online, I'm not singling out someone of that, the LBGQT+. I... I just want them to know if you're listening, like, I love you. I love you as much as I love everybody in this room. And I'm not trying to say anything negative. Because we're all doing this thing called life together. We're all in this world. And I'm going to respect and love you just like I ask that you respect and love me. And I'm also going to say that we're not going to agree on everything. But that doesn't mean we can't love one another. So we're loving people where they are at. Loving them just as Jesus loves me. Just as Jesus loves me, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. In fact, that's, I think God poured, they had me pour coffee on myself this morning just to remind me of that. Just as he loves all of our sinners. And despite all of us being sinners, I bet most of us and there are all of us in this room have a story of someone Loving us just where we are at with the hopes that we would be saved. Now we see in Mark 2, 17, it says, Jesus is saying these words, is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So it's okay to hang out with sinners, isn't it? There's no shortage of them. The world's full of them. And actually, I think we're supposed to hang out. We're supposed to hang out with them. Hang out with them in the hopes that some will be saved. Becoming all things to all people. So who is God asking you to hang out with? Who do you, you don't need to answer, but just in your heart. Who's God asking you to hang out with? Because you know your purpose. You know your purpose to go make disciples. And you know darn well Jesus would hang out with them. Someone's going to say, now go. Now go. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that um, all of us in this room, whoever it is, that when I said, who does God want you to hang out with? Who is Jesus asking you to hang out with? I just pray that, that you give us the courage, give us the boldness, give us the ability, Lord, to to be like them so that we can be friends and we can just love them, Lord. Whatever there is that's maybe preventing that, Lord, I just I, I pray that you you give us wisdom 
give us insight in, into that, Lord, so that we can overcome that and that we can love one another just in the hopes that some can be saved, that we can go make disciples, that we can just go. In your name we pray. Amen.